All right. All right. Lord God, we love you so much. Speak by your word today, Lord Jesus. That's what we're here for, Lord God, to hear from you. We give you glory and we give you praise. Amen. Amen. We're still in the book of Acts. Still there. We're in Acts chapter 13 now. Um, two weeks ago, I preached the beginning of Acts chapter 13, and we saw Paul and Barnabas were separated and sent out by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Today, that's exactly what they're doing. I think we, we talked a little bit about getting sent out last uh, last time, uh, but I think when I hear the word sent out, we think about going to some far off foreign land and uh, you know some amazing stories like that, but realistically, that's not the only place you get sent out. Sometimes you get sent out into your own backyard because people right here in this congregation need Jesus. There's somebody in here right now that is just in here and everybody's like, wow, we're a bunch of Christians in here, but they really don't know the Lord yet. There's churches in America full of people who don't know Lord the Lord yet. People listening online right now. Because a lot of times we, we see what's on the outside and we can emulate what's on the outside. So we can look like a person who believes in Jesus, but on the inside we, we haven't got it figured out yet. So we see them go into the, the synagogue here in the set of scriptures we're going to go through today. Um, because even though these people are meeting essentially like church, uh, they're, they still have a, a need. Uh, I've heard it said that the greatest mission field is inside the local church. I don't think it's the greatest. But certainly, it's a vital part of evangelizing, is uh, is making sure the people who are in position to hear the truth are actually hearing the truth. So Paul is sharing the good news about Jesus as the Messiah in this Jewish church during their worship service. And all of these people know God, they know what the scriptures are, still Paul is trying to show them what they're not seeing. So let's look at what effective evangelism looks like. Let's look in uh, Acts chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 14. It says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law, uh, after, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for these people, say on. Verse 16, Then Paul stood up, And when motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. I think it's interesting (laughs) that he's uh, in their church at this time. I think of, I think of when you get sent out and you're in a church, I always think of the the huge mistakes I made um, trying to preach in churches out in the mission field. Like when I was in Cambodia, check this out, right? So I'm in Cambodia, I'm in this small village. If you don't know, Cambodia is in Southeast Asia. They got two seasons, the hot season and the wet season. It's like that movie Mosquito Coast with Harrison Ford. They don't even see ice. They have no idea. Not really. I'm joking. Listen, it's a hot place, right? That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I'm there trying to talk about the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 verse 26 where he says, you know, consider the birds of the field. They don't uh, reap or harvest or, or store up in barns, but the Lord God takes care of them. How much more you, his dear children. So I'm using these examples of my hummingbirds that eat at my feeder on my window and it's how it's freezing cold in the winter, yet I put out food for them and like your heavenly father puts up and they're just looking at me like, 
And even the guy translating is like struggling to translate hummingbirds in the freezing weather. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But what I learned is that when you go someplace else, you should learn a little bit about their culture and what they're actually going through if you think you're going to connect with them and help them understand what the Bible says. They don't have hummingbirds. They do have birds. I probably could have started with birds. I just didn't know. I didn't know. But we see here. That uh, in this section of scripture that the uh, that Paul says the men of Israel and you who fear God listen. So he's basically in the synagogue on the Sabbath like us being church on Sundays and they're reading from the law and the prophets just like if we were reading from the scriptures from the Bible. So he's basically like he's saying listen church people I'm going to tell you something right now. And so he knows his audience he knows their culture and beliefs and he can speak their language. That's like textbooks sharing, sharing the gospel with people in other cultures. He knows their language, he knows their culture, and he knows their belief system. Because he was trained as a Jewish Pharisee. He can speak with authority and credibility when he's speaking to them in the Jewish synagogue. In the Jewish synagogue. That's, that's pretty important. Because when you start trying to use examples uh, with people who live in foreign countries, I'm up here talking about Facebook and traffic. Last month... In the south of India, there was a pastor who got kidnapped in the middle of the night on Saturday. He was hung from the rafters by his feet and his neck was slit. So when his church came to church on Sunday, that's how they found it. And I'm talking about Facebook. You have to have an understanding of the people you're talking to if you're going to try to connect with them. It means you have to ask some questions. But Paul's right there. He already knows his audience. He's already ready for this already. Uh, he establishes common ground too. He shows them, and he's, as we're going to read here in the next portion of scripture, he shows them how their own history and traditions all point back to Jesus. So this is a long set of scripture, but think about this. Think about as if you were sitting in the synagogue on a Saturday and Paul just stood up to speak. You probably wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, he's still reading the scriptures. You'd be like, oh, this is interesting. I want to hear what he has to say. Let's start in verse 17. So, um, verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. He says our fathers because he's Jewish too. Our fathers and exalted the people uh, when they dwelt uh, as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, for a time, about 40 years, he put up with them. (laughs) He put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, as a man from the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had, when he was removed, he raised up from them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, the man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Wait, what? Our king David, the seed? That, see, this is the thing. He says, according to the promise, because they know in the scriptures and from what the prophets said that a Messiah is coming. God's promised this. 
And so when he says, remember King David, through his line comes the Messiah and it is Jesus, they know what he's talking about. He's just connecting the dots for them. It says in verse 24, after John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, son of the family of Abraham, and to those of you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which we read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. He's saying that the leaders and rulers of Jerusalem did not know the voice of the prophets, which we read every Sabbath. That'd be like telling you, you go to church every week, he preaches from the Bible every week, and you're still missing it. You're not understanding, even though you hear it every week. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, again, see, he's making the case. All these prophecies they know about the Messiah, he's connecting the dots. All the way from Moses and the Exodus into, uh, through the Exodus into the Promised Land, all the way through David, all the way to John the Baptist who uh, said that Jesus was coming to Jesus. He's connecting it all together. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the, uh, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that, that the promise which was made to our forefathers, God has fulfilled this for us, uh, the children, in that he raised up Jesus, that is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with the fathers and saw corruption. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. That was a long section of scripture, but this is why I chopped it up this way. Is that what you see Paul doing here is he's not just talking about the Exodus. He's not just talking about David. He's trying to paint a picture for these guys who should know the scriptures and the, what the prophets said. And they're meeting every, t- every day. Uh, you know, it's not like you're going to um, the synagogue on the Sabbath because you have no clue who Jesus is. I mean, who God is. They know who God is. He's the God of them, their people. They have thousands of years of history that they all know. So he's trying to make a case, and it's long to read, but he's put, trying to put all these things together. He says, from in verse 23, he says, From this man's seed, according to the promise God's, God raised up, uh, uh, for up for Israel a savior and he tells him it's Jesus so they know that God has promised a savior and he's saying that Jesus is the savior that you are promised and then he points to all these portions within the scriptures they currently have to show how Jesus fulfills the scriptures and the promise 
That's pretty good, right? That's a pretty good sharing of the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you who the Messiah is. And let me tell you all the ways he's connected to what you already know about the scriptures. He's breaking it down. In verse 32 and 33, he says, And we declare to you glad tidings that the promise which was made to our fathers, God fulfilled this in us, their children, and that he has raised Jesus up. Many people witnessed his death on the cross and him raised to life and walking among him. Even in the Jewish traditions today, they do not deny those facts. They have tried to account for those by creating other stories of what had happened. Wouldn't it just be a whole lot easier to say, yeah, no, there was no Jesus. What are you talking about? No, he wasn't a Messiah. But, but there's no denying the hundreds of witnesses that saw him raised to life after he died on the cross. It's a pretty big deal. All these people he's talking to know what went down. It wasn't that long ago that this happened. It's not like they're going, what? He died on a cross? No, they know what happened. They were all probably there. He's showing them by the word of their own, own prophets, by Isaiah, by the Psalms, that Jesus fulfills the, prophet, uh, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They should have seen this coming. That's what he's trying to tell them. But this is what they're not seeing. Let's look in uh, the next couple of verses in Acts chapter 13, 38 and 39. This is what they're not seeing. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached uh, to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So there's the, there's the bomb he drops at the very end of this thing. He connects with them on their cultural level. He connects with them with their traditions and history. He shows them the scripture, how Jesus fulfills the prophecies uh, that, of the Messiah that they're waiting for. And now, here's the, the whole crux of it. The one thing that they're not catching, they don't seem to see this part, is that forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ. He's saying, remember, you know what the Messiah is going to do, and Jesus isn't the Messiah, so guess what? Forgiveness of sins comes through this man that I'm preaching to you about right now. You can be justified through that and not through the law. Now, their whole uh, culture and tradition has been built on the law of Moses. Moses is like their hero. He's like, he'd be like the Jesus before Jesus showed up. He's like the biggest deal ever. And he wrote the law, and they're trying to live their lives according to the law. And now that Jesus has come, uh, Paul's, Paul's telling them, hey, no longer are you worried about fulfilling the law, because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And now you can have salvation through him. It's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. I mean, if you spent your whole life believing one thing, being raised to see things in one in, in one way, if somebody comes on the scene and basically pulls the scales off your eyes and shows you what it looks like a different way, it's pretty startling. It'd be pretty startling. It really puts you in a position where you're going to have to choose one thing or another. You know, this kind of, you know, the funny thing about sales, and it's never a good salesman. The funny thing about sales is, is you're never going to get the sale if you're not willing to ask for it. You got to close it, right? And so, so often, like, this is the kind of salesman I would be. It's like, hey, yeah, isn't this great product? Yeah, you know, it's really cool. I got one at home. I love it. 
And they're like, okay, great. Well, uh, I'm going to keep looking around. No, you got to be like, I love it. Do you see why I love it? Can I tell you all the reasons why I love it? Do you see how it would connect to your life? Do you see how you would love it in your life too? Okay, so let's buy it today. And that's what Paul's doing. He's not just, oh yeah, you know, you should check Jesus out. He's saying, no, let me show you how it connects to your life. Why it's important. Because from the outside, what they see is the law. From the outside, them trying to keep the law, which you could see on people like the Pharisees, is what they could see, is what they thought had the power. But they don't see that Jesus is the lifesaver inside of there. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So that's what Paul's telling them. Look, look, he just came. He just completed this whole thing that God has been doing for you, his people, the whole time. The Messiah has come. You can't be saved by the law. The Messiah has come. Now you have salvation. He's not eliminating it. See, that's a nut. Well, we'll get into it in a minute. But that's another thing that you'll find is just a, a false gospel is when people try to take part of the scriptures and eliminate it. If you want to say the Old Testament is no longer relevant... You're basically going into what Jesus said himself, which is I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. You've decided to abolish it yourself in the name of what? The Jesus who said he fulfills the law? I mean, come on, guys. Okay, we'll get back to that in a second. All right. Some of you may know this. I don't know if I've talked about this lately, so it may be a new story. If this is an old story for you, then just like laugh and pretend it's uh, it's brand new for you. So when I was in the Marine Corps, I was a Marine combat instructor of water survival. Sounds pretty tough, right? No, it's not tough. It's like being a, it's like being a lifeguard for, uh, for Marines. I mean, kind of, a little bit. So basically the premise of it is that, um, Marines are supposed to make amphibious landings, like picture World War II, right? The boats come up on the beach and the thing drops and they come in out of the water and assault up through the enemy. And so every Marine has to have a certain level of water survival skills. The ability to swim with all their combat gear on. Because that's kind of what they're getting ready for. I mean, I guess we've been in the desert for the better part of the last 20 years. But in essence, you would have to be ready for some water. So I was the instructor of that. And so I would get people um, coming through the, the swimming pool. And we'd put them through all the paces. And they would have... Everything from the one, everything from having all your gear on, boots, swimming laps with this stuff on, treading water, all sorts of things. Uh, but one of the most basic things you would have, pretty much everybody had to do, is you'd have this rubber rifle. It looks like a rifle. It's about eight pounds. And you'd have your full gear on, flak jacket, helmet, the whole nine yards, a big like 30, 40 pound, I think it was about 35 pound pack on your back. And you have to jump off this uh, 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 tower. It's like 15 feet up. You got to step off this thing, right? And so there's some people who aren't very good swimmers. And I'm not trying to be weird about it, but I was in Georgia and I'm just saying there's a lot of people who don't swim in the South. (laughs) And so we're down there and there's people who have all this gear on and they had to climb all the way up on this tower and they're standing where they're all this stuff on and I'm telling them they have to jump off into the water. And I don't know how small I look to them, but I'm like, it's okay, it's safe, you can jump. So from the outside, you can see this pack and you know it's full of a bunch of good stuff. And anybody in the military knows you got food in there and tools in there. And, you know, you got like a tent and all this. Everything you need is in this big old pack, right? Bullets and band-aids and beans. 
are all in this pack. And it's all with you. But what you can't see is that it's waterproofed. Which means everything's packed in these little, like a big plastic bag. We squeeze all the air out of it and tie the top. And so it's super duper heavy, but because it's sealed in this plastic, it floats. So it's really like from the outside, you're holding this pack that seems extremely heavy. And then when you throw it in the pool, it just floats on top of the water. I mean, think about it, right? It's not that weird. You have like a boat that weighs a bazillion pounds. And it, I mean, it's, if it's not the Titanic, it's just floating right there. <laughs> but it's doing just fine. It's like made of metal and stuff. So it's not that bizarre, but but it's kind of a weird concept to wrap your mind around. So I have to get these people to jump off this tower and float in the water. And so when they finally do, they jump in, they hit the water, it, it just thrusts them back up. They pop back up and you pull the pack around in front of you and then you can have your weapon and you kick on back to, you know, kill the enemy and all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is that like when you watch the World War II movies, remember like when they kind of, they're trying to get out of the, the boat onto the shore and they kind of go over the side and then you seem like, oh, and they drowned. Because if that thing's not waterproofed, it's going to just drag you down like a rock. So if you don't know what's on the inside, it's just going to drag you to the bottom. But done correctly, and it's a life preserver. And you won't drown. So not seeing what's inside the rucksack full of survival supplies, Jesus is the waterproofing that makes it life-saving and keeps it from, from being a giant weight that drags you down. That's what he's trying to tell them. Like, you you know what it looks on the outside. You have all the pieces, but you need the Jesus on the inside to make this thing a lifesaver and not just what leads to death. Matthew chapter 20, verses... Uh, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, Jesus also said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not picking on them. He's telling them that the scribes and Pharisees look like they have it all together because they have all the scriptures memorized. They know exactly all the traditions. They know exactly what they're doing. They look like the pillar of uh, what God would want. And he's saying that unless your uh, relationship with God, unless your righteousness is better than just looking the best, then it's not, it's not worth anything to you. That it's not worth the kingdom of heaven. He's basically telling that it's, it's what's on the inside. You must have Jesus on the inside. You can't just look like a Christian on the outside. I mean, honestly, that's the biggest uh, criticism that Christians get anyway, is that they're hypocrites because they try to present some way on the outside, and then there's something different on the inside. Now, if we're being real about it, and if the society is being real about it, we're all broken people just trying to get better and better, right? You know, and so... Yeah, you want to try to listen to the right music and you want to try to wear, uh, dress a certain way and you want to try to present yourself in a holy way. But that doesn't make you a hypocrite if you recognize that you're still working towards it, that the power is not yours, but it's God's. That's why when you can come to an authentic church where people are just being real about where they're at and where they want to be, that kind of church grows, you know, we should find a church like that. 
We see here in the scriptures right now that Paul, they're in these blind synagogues. They're not seeing the truth. But honestly, we have a generation of blind churches that are missing the same thing in their churches, which is Jesus. The people of that day were going to church, listening to the scriptures, fellowshipping with other believers. Some of today's churches will add to that mix with service projects, being all include, being an all-inclusive community, and place uh, a place to gain self-help strategies for successful life. Yeah. Stuff slogans you can put on like wall hangings and coffee cups. <laughs> you need more than wall hangings and coffee cups. You know, it's just a quick side note. I hate those wall hangings that just take a portion of scripture. And it's like, they say it's a scripture, but then it's just like five words. And when you look at it, you're like, that ain't even what that means. Hope is a mountain. What? What are you talking about? What translation is that? Dude, I'm telling you, some things. You can't build your doctrine around a wall hanging. I probably didn't need to say that. All right, let's get back on track. They're missing that Jesus is the only way to salvation and eternal life. Like it says in John chapter 3 verse 17, like we talked about on Sunday, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. What you have to recognize is the world's already condemned. That's why Jesus came, right? I mean, otherwise, why would he come? So yeah, he didn't come to bring condemnation. He trained to save us from the condemnation that already exists. We see the outside, but neglect the inside. It's a difference between sinking and swimming. It's a difference between a heavy burden that drags you down or a lifesaver. But there's a couple strategies that you should probably be aware of that the enemy's uh, using pretty effectively right now in our modern day culture. The first one is uh, to keep us from seeing the truth. You have to redefine what the Bible says and what it means. It's really a really slick way to get people to go the wrong direction. You don't tell them not to read the Bible. You just change what the words mean with some new fresh revelation that somehow in the last 2,000 years no one else ever thought of. But you figured it out and made a video and posted it on YouTube. That's what what you got to do. Because you know why? People never fact check anything anyway. I mean, be honest with yourself. How often do you see some cool video and your your hair triggers to be like, that was amazing. I never knew that that was the way it worked. And then you share it rather than taking about five minutes to find a couple different sources to see if you could corroborate anything that that person was talking about. Especially religious ones too, like uh, memes and these videos where you got some slick pastor with some sunglasses and a tattoo on his neck talking about something about the Bible. Uh, and it sounds really good, except for if you know your Bible, you're like, well, wait a second. You don't say, well, wait a second. You know, he said that. You know, it's really, uh, this is, I'm telling you a Bible secret here. You can Google a phrase and say like, uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world Bible verse. Boom. And it will tell you exactly where that's at. Or oftentimes it'll tell you where you think it was at and you'll see how you had already mistranslated it. It's so easy. We never take the time to fact check anything. So it's really easy to get this stuff right by us. Just redefine what it says, change a few words and we're not fact checking it anyway. So we're like, I never knew the Bible said that. It's because you don't read your Bible. Here's another one. Tell the word, tell the, tell the, tell the people that the word is fallible. 
Humans wrote it, so they got some stuff wrong. That's the latest trick right there. It's like, well, the Bible says that. You're right. You looked at it. You read it. Okay, you figured out that the Bible does say that. But it's written by some guys. And, you know, they just don't have all the... They didn't have all the pieces that we have today. And so they got some things a little bit wrong. But they got a lot of it right. So just kind of focus in on the stuff that makes sense. That they got right, and we're gonna not, don't even waste your time with the stuff they, they got wrong. We, it's just holding us back. We gotta move forward. We're gonna move forward with the stuff that we like that makes sense to us. The definition of fallible, it means that something is with error. It descends from the Latin word, uh, the Latin verb, fallere, which means to deceive. Interesting. So, if the word is deceiving and incorrect, then why are we looking at it at all? How can you take part of it and say, well, I like that part, so that must be true, but then take another part of it and say, that conflicts with my inner being, and it's not true. You see the, the holes that you can poke in these things really quickly? Some just say that truth is relative. What's true for you may not be true for me. Only stuff that makes sense. That's what you need to stick to. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. It's just an absolute standard of truth. You don't have to like it. You don't have to understand it. But truth is absolute. There's, I mean, I won't even go into all the ways you can poke holes in these theories. I just want you to understand that when you hear somebody say that it doesn't mean what you think it means, when they say that it's fallible, it's not the inherent truth, if you say it's relative, these are the kind of things that should be little red flags in your ears that say, wait a second. I think this person is going the wrong direction. Uh, I think of, <laughs> I think of it like this, and you listen. Know, I, I I don't want to sound apathetic because then I feel guilty, but it's like passing laws in America. Remember, like when you learn that in school, like a bill becomes a law because it gets written up, and then Congress looks at it, and then it goes to a vote of the people, and if enough people vote for it, it becomes a law. Yay, government of the people! You notice how? When was the last time you remember voting on anything important? I'm totally serious. Like uh, you won't remember because most of you, it wasn't in your own lifetimes. They don't vote on anything anymore. Anything that they want to do, they no longer have to get you to vote for a law. They just have to go to the Supreme Court to redefine the laws we currently have. And you don't get to choose that. So they could put something out to a vote. And you may think of things that have been put out to a vote and the people vote no. And then take it right over to the court and have them redefine what our current laws mean. And now guess what? Hey, it's the law of the land. You're like, but I never voted on that. No one, no one, you know. So it's like that. You don't have to get people to agree. You just have to get somebody to redefine what the truth is. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? It's interesting because, I mean, there's a Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, you know, says they say, hey, didn't we do uh, many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And he says, I never knew you, see? Because you have gifts, that have been given to you by God. But just because you're operating in the gifts God gave you, 
doesn't mean that you're on the right track with what God wants you to be. Because you're not judged by your gifts, you're judged by your fruit. And fruit is cultivated. You grow that. So that's why you judge somebody by their fruit, not by their gifts. They may be an eloquent speaker. They may have a gigantic church, but it doesn't mean they're doing the right thing. You got to look for the fruit in their ministry, the fruit in their lives. The second thing here is you got to redefine who Jesus is and why he came. So first, you just change what the word says entirely. And if you're not reading your Bibles, you won't even see it coming. You'll just think, wow, that's that's amazing. I never heard it that way. But the second thing is to change who Jesus was and why he even came. That's going to trick you if you're not paying attention to it. There's there's large, large American churches right now that are preaching that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. From the pulpit. Now, we're all looking at like, how could anybody buy that? But someone sitting at home who hasn't read their Bible says, why? I didn't know that, but this guy's got an audience of 10,000 and he's on the TV. It makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't there be multiple ways? Right? It's a deception. Disregard the Old Testament. That's another one that's coming out. Jesus being God and the only way to salvation is the foundational principle of Christianity. That's foundational. That's like Christianity 101. Jesus is God. He's the only way to salvation. Repent, get forgiveness, eternal life. That's foundational. If you don't believe that's true, then I wonder what standard are you using to consider yourself a Christian? We're just throwing that word around now? I don't like it. If you don't trust that the Bible, if you don't trust the Bible to define who Jesus really is or why he came, then you're just worshiping a Frankenstein Jesus of your own creation. You made him from various parts you liked. Think about that. You're taking something that's dead because it doesn't have the Lord in it and you're just taking pieces of it. The parts you like, you're putting it together and then you're trying to shock some life into this thing and make it work. Turning Jesus into a prophet or a great teacher who loves you just the way you are makes you comfortable. It makes him a comfortable person to be around, right? And it's hard. It's like, oh, he was a great prophet and a great teacher. You're like, yeah, but there's a little more to it than that. Because, and I'm not the, I mean, this isn't the first time you'll ever hear it, but but I think it was C.S. Lewis kind of broke it down that, that he can't just be a good teacher or a prophet. It's impossible. Read what he said and spoke about. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord himself, right? I mean, think about it. Because he can't be a good teacher because he, t- he says in the scriptures that he is the son of God, that he is God. He says he's the only way. So how do you reconcile that? That he has some good things to say, but then he also says some just uh, apparently heresy if you don't believe it's true. You got to be intellectually honest with yourself when you when you decide to adopt a belief system. I mean, run it down a little further to the end to see if all your ideas don't just conflict and you're and you're making something up in your own head. Galatians chapter one verses six through eight. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or angels from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
But I guess if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then you probably don't worry about that part either. <laughs> ah, just change it. The only way to defend against these tools of the enemy to get you distracted and keep you not seeing what, what you need to see is that you need to know your Bible. You need to read your Bible. If you aren't reading your Bible, it's difficult to see what is fake because you don't know what the real looks like. Do you know how like the FBI and stuff, you know how they, uh, they spot counterfeit bills? They study real bills. Yeah, they never look at counterfeit bills. They only look at real money. They're so familiar with what real is, when fake shows up, it's easy to pick it out of a lineup. And that's exactly how you'll be if you read your word. You'll read your word, and then when somebody says something that's heretical, that fits into line with what we just talked about for the last 10 minutes, you'll be like, no, 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 no. It doesn't say that. Let me tell you what it does say. Well, you know, this and that. No, I'll tell you what it does say. I know what it says. So I know that what you're saying is not what it says. You could spot a fake if you know what's real. That's how it works. It's vitally important that the truth is preached, even to those who think they already know it, so we will not live like lukewarm, in, we, so we will not live in the lukewarm darkness like evangelifish floating around in the deep, not recognizing that we're drowning. No, I didn't make it up. I'd love to take credit for it. No. But it's good, right? It's a good word picture. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're reading your Bible, you'll see that there's there's a loving, loving God who just wants to, to save you and sacrifice for you. But he's also a loving God that wants you to change. And a loving God that wants to let you know the consequences that if you don't change your behavior, what's going to happen. It's all in there. Reproof, correction, encouragement. That's why you can't piece it out. That's why you can't build your doctrine on uh, memes and wall hangings and, and just sections of scripture. That's why you got to read your Bible because you see how it all connects. That way, when somebody quotes a scripture and they tell you the first part of it and the last part of it, but they skip that middle part of it, you don't get deceived by it. And don't sugarcoat the truth. I don't know why we're so convinced we have to sugarcoat the truth for people to want to believe it. Paul Paul and Jesus and, and Peter, they never sugarcoated the truth and they didn't seem to have trouble having people come to Christ. Yeah, say that. Why do we feel like we got to do it? You, have you been following along in Acts? Do you hear how Peter talks to people? He's not telling them one thing and say, hey, come to synagogue. It's great. You make some new friends. Get some coffee. We'll get you in a Sabbath group. <laughs> then they come to, Then they come, and then, then you're like, you get in the Sabbath group, and that's where they want to tell you the truth. No. We got to tell you the truth when you walk through the door. Not save it for some later time when you're all softened up and ready for it. <laughs> Acts 13, 40 through 41. Be therefore, uh, beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes to you. Behold you despisers, marvel and perish. 
For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, through though one were to declare it to you. He's telling them that the prophets have prophesied this. Don't be the guy who has a work that God is doing in their day, which somebody tells them about that they're not willing to believe. He's like, don't be that guy. Come on, man. Don't be that guy. The world stands condemned to death already. Otherwise, why would Jesus need to come at all? That's what he's trying to tell them here. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Lest we drift away. How are we going to escape if we live in disobedience? How do we think we're going to escape if our transgressions go before us? We think we can get there without salvation through Jesus? If you don't think you can get there without Jesus, then why are we holding so close to that when somebody else needs to hear it? Why are we holding back on that? Why are we playing back and forth like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever you think, that's it's pretty close, it's great. You know, let me just tweak it a little bit. No, if somebody's wrong, you better tell them they're wrong or they're going to be fulfilling this prophecy of not being prepared. If they don't see it, if they're not seeing it, somebody's got to let them know. Do you think Paul walked up in there like, ah, I really don't want to offend these guys. They kind of got something going already. So, no, you know what, guys, you're doing a good job. What you're doing is okay. So... But if you want to hear more about it, I'll meet you outside. No, he's like, hey, this is the part you're missing. Let me help you out here. Sometimes uh, when I was in the water, I would have to prove to a Marine that the pack would float. And there was a few people in particular, uh, people you wouldn't think, big, muscular guys that are stern and scary. And, and they're just standing on that tower and they will not move. And I'm down in the water like, it will be okay. I'm trying to talk them into it and convince them of it. I apparently know what I'm talking about because I'm the subject matter expert. That's why I'm down there instructing them. But they still don't want to believe it just because I'm the one who made it, right? Okay, it's fine. So I would get out and I'd climb up the tower and I would take their pack and I would jump off with their pack. Ooh, I float. See how it works? This is your pack, the one I have for you. It's floating, right? Take it back up to them, hand it to them, get back down in the water. So I told them about it as a subject matter expert. I went up and I showed them with their own pack. To try to build that credibility and confidence to say, I know what you're going through and I know how it ends. And then sometimes they would jump. <laughs> Remember the one guy who jumped? Man, his eyes were as big as saucers. Have you ever seen somebody drown before? Yeah, once you see that face, you just know it. Like, oh, because they're quiet, right? And he popped up, his eyes were this big. And I was like, good job, Gunnery Sergeant, you did it. You know? <laughs> I had to prove to him that it would work only because they already believed the truth of what would happen if it didn't. They knew what would happen if it didn't work. So I needed to show them what would work. 
my last set of uh, scripture here to finish this off with Acts chapter 13, uh, 42 through 43 is the last bit of it. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Their message was so powerful that when they came out, other churches wanted to hear it. What just happened in that church? I want to be a part of it. And they just had to say, hey, keep in the truth, you guys. Keep in the truth. And we'll see as the scripture goes on in the next few weeks. How their ministry continues. Uh, but but now they can see what they previously couldn't see. Because Paul was willing to tell them. Now they could see that Jesus is the Messiah. Imagine that. Imagine spending your whole life, generation after generation, waiting for God's promised Messiah. And then showing up to church one day. And Paul shows up and says, guess what? He already came. He was here. He was here. Believe in it. Wouldn't that just be the most awesome thing ever? Salvation has come. Salvation has come to those who thought they already knew what was up. And maybe that's the point tonight. Is that there's people who already think they know what's up. And they don't know what's up. And I know sometimes I will uh, I will shy away from trying to um, speak the gospel to people who are already kind of settled in what they believe. Because I'm like, ah... They're pretty close. I mean, they'll get there. So just keep going. Hey, just keep reading your Bible. Rather than having that boldness to say, you are missing a key ingredient. And you're going to sink. you got to have that courage to tell people like Paul had that courage. you got to have that courage. Why don't you bow your heads? So, so tonight, in a room full of people, probably most of them are already saved. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're not, and you're just waiting for somebody to tell you, guess what? It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's nothing else. I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ tonight in this place. So if you're in here tonight and you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you've never said, I want to live for him. You've never said, forgive me of my sins. I want a, a new life through Jesus Christ. If you've never, never done that before and you want to do it tonight, I want you to just raise your hand at me and catch my eye. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Man, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave right now. I'm going to ask you to come up here and have somebody pray with you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Jesus still saves. Jesus still saves. Praise God. Now, maybe you're in here in this place right now, and you just had kind of a a kick in the heart about how you need to be uh, presenting the gospel, living your life, and not falling for false doctrines tonight. I would encourage you to walk out of this place and come up with a plan to read your Bible every day so that you will not stray from the one who saves, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity and this time, Lord God. I pray that I didn't get in the way which your people needed to hear from you, Lord God. I pray that your word spoke true. And I pray we wouldn't forget what you've uh, spoken into us tonight, Lord God. And it would change our lives in your holy name. Amen. Amen.
Get your kids. They miss you and they love you.